just uh, release the children at this point. If you guys all want to head out. And I was told they can all go at once. And it's okay to do that. So maybe the older ones can help some of the younger ones. So go have fun. We're all a little jealous. I know I've been here a few times now and I should be used to it, but it's always weird how the room empties. It feels so full and then it's just like, oh, okay. This is, but I don't mind it. This feels more familiar to me. I'm, so my name is Mark. I'm from Morale City Mission. We're a smaller congregation in downtown Guelph. Uh, I've been with you guys a number of times, so it kind of feels, I don't feel like I'm visiting anymore, which is probably bad, maybe a little dangerous. Um, but it's good to be here with you again this morning. Um, when I was with you guys last time, it was December over Christmas, right? And uh, I told you that uh, Royal City Mission, we had just gotten some funding from the city uh, to expand our hours. So we had been open eight hours a day, and the city came along and asked us if we would open to 12. And so they gave us um, uh, some money to kind of expand our hours to 12 hours. So in mid-February, we made that shift after we hired... Um, what feels like a, an absurd amount of staff for us because we've always been so small. Um, and now we're running six days a week, 12 hours a day, which is exciting. Now, just there's lots of people when they're just like, oh, the city's giving them money, so they're loaded. Um, <laughs> it's not the case. So it's still, what it allowed us to do, it provided about 30% of our funding, which allowed us to expand about 30% of our hours, right? And so we are still very much like, in need of partnership with all of the churches across Guelph. You guys are a key partner in that, and we appreciate that. So um, just kind of a, a thank you and an FYI, I guess. Uh, the other thing that's kind of fun is, so it feels like we're always cooking up something new downtown at Royal City Mission, but one of the, um, one of the things that's shifting now for us is we partner with Hope House, and Hope House had been providing breakfast four days a week, and they wanted to expand that, and so we started a discussion, and as discussions go, they grew into a dream and then a plan. And so starting tomorrow, we're actually gonna start serving breakfast as well as lunch and dinner. So 18 meals a week, three meals a day, six days a week are gonna be served, um, which is just a bit bananas, I'll be honest. Because uh, not that long ago, we were only serving four meals a, meals a day. And if you're like me, um, when we made the shift and we started serving lunch, I was just like, do we really need to serve lunch? Like, isn't one hot meal enough? Very compassionate question for someone in my position, right? Um, but it was amazing, because we made the shift and we added lunch, and what I realized was, is it gave people freedom to be able to choose when they would come. So if someone had to, before, they had to make a choice between a hot meal and picking up that extra odd shift at work, um, now they don't need to make that choice, that they can come to one. And we didn't see, like, we aren't serving, we weren't serving 100 dinners and then we were serving 100 lunches to the exact same people. We actually found that our population grew because the need, we were meeting a new need and we're expecting that again with breakfast as we kind of grow into that. But enough about that. That's not why we're here this morning, but I 
can't miss the opportunity to tell you what's going on, and you guys are a part of that. So thank you for that. Happy Palm Sunday, right? Uh, happy Easter as it comes. Today is the day when we celebrate and we commemorate um, what is arguably the high point in Jesus' ministry, if you had to pick one. Maybe, I'm not saying it's the most significant or the most important, but like, it had to feel good, right? Jesus had been wandering around the countryside uh, essentially for years, and then basically he comes to Jerusalem, and as he enters into Jerusalem, a crowd of people gather and they yell Hosanna, which means save us or our savior. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. That's got to do something for your ego, right? But this, this, this happens at, in, in, uh, in John chapter 12. We can read, you can read the whole story. And if you want to read it all later, it would be a great read for today because it's Palm Sunday. But after this, Jesus comes in and he comes in mounted on a donkey, but then he quickly shifts into kind of a teaching time with his disciples, right? And so he moves in, and you can read it in chapters 13 to 16 in, in, the, in the Gospel of John. Jesus imparts basically his final words of wisdom. And this is the, the bulk of, in the Gospel of John, this is the bulk of Jesus' teachings. And it's like he's reviewing things that he had said earlier, reminding his disciples that in light of his coming crucifixion, that these are some things you really need to hold on to. And at the end of all that teaching, at the end of quite a significant um, years and years worth of sermon fodder, uh, Jesus comes to the end. And in chapter 17, Jesus pauses and he prays. And it, it, this is, in essence, his, his closing prayer for his disciples. It's tying together all the different things that he'd been talking about, the different ways of living that he'd been showing them, and kind of bringing them to a point. And it's the longest prayer we have of Jesus that is recorded in the New Testament, which I think is significant. If you have long-winded prayers, prayers in your midst, just point them to our model and our source. He was usually quite succinct, although this one is long. And I, I, even though it's long, I want to read the, it in its entirety to you this morning. I think uh, sometimes we shy away from reading large portions of Scripture, particularly publicly. Um, maybe it reminds us of a liturgical upbringing, or it feels like it disconnects. But I think every once in a while, it's worth diving in and looking at the whole piece. Because it gives us a bit of context. It allows us to feel a bit of the emotions that are going on. So let's read together in John chapter 17. I'm reading from the NIV. Because that's usually where I start when I'm studying. So. so after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that, you know, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me, me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them words, for I gave them words, and you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that they came from you, and they believed you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. The glory has, has come through me. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. And they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world for, th for them to sanctify myself. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who would believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, I and, them and you and me so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in, in them and that I may, myself may be in them. In the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus prays before he, his arrest, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays alone. Even his closest disciples are at a distance, right? They're not really listening. They actually end up falling asleep, right? 
But in the Gospel of John, it presents us a different part of the picture. Jesus and disciples haven't traveled to the garden where Jesus would be met by Judas and betrayed. Instead, Jesus, in, in, God, in John's Gospel, Jesus prays this prayer with his disciples for them publicly in front of them. It's, it's, it's as he's been teaching them, he prays for them. And it's a beautiful prayer. It's packed with meaning and significance. And for me, I'm immediately drawn to, to verses 20 to 23 when Jesus comes to the final point, the final ask, and the reason that he prays, uh, prays this prayer in the first place. He prays that, that those who follow Jesus throughout all of time would be one in the sense that Jesus and the Father are one. And that they would experience the love and the glory in that wellness. Now, if I'm straight up, I'm drawn to that and I struggle. Because it's a lot of words I don't really understand. Not because it's inaccurate or the wrong words, like the NIV, they do a good job translating, but because you've got your own baggage or your own misunderstandings, I think. And for me, I bring these to this, to this passage. For, for me, there's, there's one idea and one word in particular that, that bother me. And the first is this idea of being one. What does that mean? Like, it's just like that they would be one as you and I are one. It just, it, it feels ethereal, kind of foreign, you know, not something concrete, which is usually where my brain likes to go. I don't know about any of you here. But I have a hard time making sense of it. It's obviously extremely important to Jesus. He repeats it over and over and over again, four or five times throughout the, throughout the verse, throughout the, the passage. But for me, this idea kind of feels out there. And the word I struggle with is glory. First of all, I tend to think of glory in terms of fame or prestige, right? Like, um, kind of in a worldly sense. But I don't think that quite does it justice. And then for me, I have significant personal baggage with that word because... 20 years ago, and I did that math 20 years ago, it's actually legit. It was 20 years ago that this happened to me, um, which is terrifying. I don't know if anybody else is in that boat and people are looking at me like, yeah, wait till it's 30 and 40, buddy. <laughs> but 20 years ago, I, I was helping at a church, and um, this wasn't the church I grew up with, it was just there for a few weeks helping out. And the pastor of this church was a fiery little man. And I say little, like he was. I don't mean that sparingly, it's just if you want the image. He was, he was short and he was like, I don't know if he knew how to walk at a normal pace kind of thing. He was always kind of moving everywhere, always very excitable, right? And his favorite word was glory. And he always said it so emphatically, right? Glory! was always the way he said it, no matter what the context. Because if you went with him to the mall and he got a good parking space, glory! 
as he's pulling into the parking space. He stubs his toe. Glory! Right? He's bored, needed to fill an awkward silence, didn't remember, lost his place in his notes while giving a sermon. Glory! He used it like other people use obscenities. Right? And like, I don't mean it to be crass, but that's, that's the way it was. I don't know if he really knew what he was saying. Maybe he did, and I'm not being very kind to him. But ever since, I spent a couple weeks with the man, but ever since then, I've struggled with the word. Because <laughs> all I picture is him. Ah, weird, eh? It's weird how those things stick with us. And it's really too bad because when you, like, you look at this word glory, if you look at it, what it's translated from, it's translated from the Greek word doxa, right? Which mean, can mean a number of things, and we translate it to glory, but it's splendor, it's brightness, it's magnificence, it's excellence, it's preeminence, it's dignity, it's grace, it's majesty. It's like all of these things would be acceptable translations. And there's one, uh, one idea that also gets translated it sometimes it says it even means a thing belonging to God. So when we say like that's glorious, we're saying that's a thing that belongs to God. Like that's the only person who could claim ownership of that. It's that awesome. That cool, right? And I, I love these ideas. I love that this word has meaning and significance. And it frustrates me when words get ruined by annoying people. But it happens, right? And so when I, when I, whenever I find myself when I'm reading a passage and I'm struggling with certain words or certain ideas, my first go-to, and I think it's a fair one, is just to try and read it in other translations. You start looking around, and not to find what you want to say. That's always a pet peeve when people are like, I'm going to read it from this one here and this one here. That way I'm not obligated to do what this text is actually asking me to do. But I think it's a helpful tool, particularly if we're not scholars, right? And an inter a translation that I I've been introduced to recently is, and it's relatively new, is the First Nations version. Has anybody come across it in their travels? A couple? So it, it's relatively new, and they only have, as far as I know, they only have the New Testament at this point. But I brought some interesting insights for me to this passage. So I want to read uh, verses 20 to 26 for you from that First Nations version. My prayers are not only for them, but for all who will trust in me through their message. I pray that all who walk with me will be joined together in one in the same way that you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may be one in us. This is how the world will believe that you have sent me. The beauty you gave me, I have given to them. This will join them together with us. In the same way you are in me, I will be in them, beautifully joined together as one. This is the reason you sent me into the world, to show that you love them just as you loved me. O oh, great Father, I want the ones you have given me to share this place of beauty that I have with you so that they can see the power of your love for me, a love that we will share before you created all things. 
O Father of all that is good and right, the world does not know you, but I know you, and my followers know you sent me. I have represented and will always represent who you truly are, so that the love you have for me will be in them, and I will live in them also. I really appreciated the kind of the fresh language of this version. It still includes this, this idea of being one, of oneness. But for me, it added this idea of this, and this language of shared space. And just a bit of backstory for me, why that's significant. We, my wife and I, um, we don't anymore, but for five years early on in our marriage, we uh, lived in community with another family. And when I say we lived in community, we, uh, there was a house we rented together. And we, their family with their two kids, and my wife and I, we all lived in this house. Um, and it wasn't like roommates, because we didn't just kind of go to our own separate sections. We shared space. And that's how we talked about it. So when we talked about the kitchen, it was a shared kitchen, because we only had one, and there were two families. Right? Uh, when a family room, living room, all this kind of space that would typically be family space, we had as shared space. We were two families trying to live together in one household, one community. We ate together, we cleaned together, we made decisions together when it would impact everybody. And most of the houses was this shared space, space that no one person or family could lay claim to solely. Right? It was shared. And then when I read Jesus saying, I want the ones you have given me to share this place of beauty that I have with you. For me, it conjures up that living in community. Which makes sense. Because I think with that in my brain, and then you reread the whole prayer, you're just like, this is a prayer for community. Right? Jesus prays that all may be one. One community. One people in a shared Space. And this is a huge part of our faith. Right? Like, I hope it's why you're here. This is why we gather. And I know sometimes we like to think that we gather to hear the message, but if you're here to hear the message, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're missing out. This is weak in comparison to that shared space of community. We participate in church because we want to be a part of something. We want to be a member of a community. We want to be part of a greater whole. We want to experience that shared space and love. And I know, of course, it doesn't mean you always get along. I know when we lived in community, we had some pretty awesome fights with each other. Right? It doesn't mean that we won't disagree. I think. And we were, we've just finished a study on Job, and one of the things we, at Royal City, and one of the things we came to the conclusion of is that God's okay with disagreeing. And I think if you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, which is the other, the other ending, is Jesus is asking for the cup to be taken away from him, right? This is Jesus saying, God, if there's another way, can we do it that way? They're disagreeing on what the direction should be. And I know there's submission in there and they come along, they, 
they get there. But at the same room, there's room for difference of opinion. So I think it doesn't mean when we talk about community and we talk about oneness, it doesn't mean that we're all going to be homogenous, that we're all going to have the exact same idea. There's room for difference. But the idea of oneness, I think it means that we are one whether we agree with each other or not. We are one whether we like each other or not. And that's the strength of the oneness and the community that Jesus is calling us into. That's the strength of the church, is that we continue to be community even when we're not sure we agree with each other. Jesus' prayer for us to be one is an invitation into shared space. Shared space with each other, shared space with God. And you might think that's a, that's a nice, quaint idea, right? Like, it's like, okay, yeah, shared space, no big deal. But Jesus adds a significant amount of weight to it in the way that he talks about it. In verse 23, he says, This is how the world will believe that you have sent me. This calling into community, this calling into shared space with each other and with God, this is how the world will come to believe in Jesus. People won't come to believe, according to Jesus and his prayer in this moment, through preaching or teaching. They won't come through persuasion or argument. According to Jesus, they will come through community, through a loving community. Jesus prayed that all who would walk with him would be joined together as one in the same way that Jesus and the Father are one, and this is how the world will come to follow him. Oneness, shared space, community with God and with one another, this is both our medium, it's what we live out, and it's our message. It's our avenue and it's our destination. So when we hear this, when we hear Jesus praying that we would be one, it isn't this ethereal concept that I was struggling with at the beginning. But it's actually something really down to earth and kind of up in our faces. It's life together. It's gathering. It's learning together. It's challenging each other. It's encouraging one another. It's loving one another, caring. It's offering correction. It's community. And I don't know about you, but I find the, that kind of inspiring. Maybe even a bit beautiful. And when I say the word, word beautiful, it reminds me of the other problem word I had, right? This idea of glory. The First Nation version translates doxa to beauty instead of glory, which for me connects. And I know that's another word, like they can both be a bit out there. But for me, it doesn't have that taint of misuse that glory did. And it also hits home because that's actually a Royal City Mission, that's one of our values. We have, we have three values that we always try to, to live out there. The relationship, justice, and, and beauty. And 
these are our three values. And people typically understand, they're just like, oh, of course you're about relationship, like you're, you're building connection, you're caring for one another, of course you're about justice, you're about caring for those who have been oppressed and pushed away. That makes total sense. And then you say beauty and they're just like, sorry, what? Unpack that for us. But for, for us, this idea of, of beauty, holding it as a value, it's, it reminds us that God thinks that the world and all the people in it are beautiful. Sometimes we, we forget that as the church. We get quite caught up in the brokenness and the disparity. But even in the midst of all this, there's beauty, there is creation. Even in the midst of struggle, God is present. Even in the midst of hardship, love is there with us. Jesus, in his final prayer, prays that his current and future disciples would follow him and know a community of love that they would know a shared space of beauty with him and each other. And I know I, I joked at the beginning that I'm just a guest, although I'm struggling with that, that line because I've been here enough. But I wonder, because I can, if Grace Community Church has been that loving community has been that shared space of beauty. I think for sure in some ways it has, right? You guys are here this morning. And most of the time we don't to keep coming back to awful places. But I wonder if we could lean into that more. I wonder if we could understand the urgency of what Jesus is saying, that this isn't just an idea, it isn't just a place to feel good, this is actually how he's going to save the world. In his final moments, Jesus made time to pray for this, for pray for a oneness and a beautiful shared space. I think we downplay our time together a bit. And I, I hope that more churches would live this out. That we would lean into this idea that we are a beautiful shared space, a community of love, and that, that is what God has called us to. And I hope that this prayer of Jesus encourages us to seek out and live into this space as a community. Let's pray. Lord God, on Palm Sunday, we remember the fanfare of the crowd and the excitement of the disciples. And remember how short-lived it was. The excitement of that moment of the crowd praising your name wasn't enough. We pray your prayer for us, that we would experience the oneness, the loving community, the beautiful shared space with you and with others. 
and pray that we would live into this with the urgency you gave it. That we would see it both as the medium and the message. As the thing that we are saved to, but also saved by. Thank you for coming and showing us the way. Thank you for teaching us. You are so good to us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand together and we sing our closing worship song?